Hello and welcome to livealittlehigher.com. This week we read Parasha Vayeshev and this is the, the famous parasha in which Joseph is thrown in a pit by his brothers and we see here that it says in Bereshit 37, 23, it says when Joseph came to his brothers they took him and threw him into a pit and the pit was empty, there was no water in it. It was an empty pit. So the Midrash explains the deeper significance of the waterless pit, the waterless pit in which Joseph was thrown by his brothers. So we have to understand that in this parasha, the, the brothers and Joseph are all grown up. They're living in, um, in the land of Canaan, in the land of Israel, and they have been settled there. Joseph is 17 years old. And the brothers don't love him very much. They're jealous of him. They're envious of him. He's the favorite of Yaakov. And um, they have a feeling that he's not a good person. And so the Midrash says the pit was empty. The well of Jacob was empty. There was no water in it. It was void of words of Torah, which are compared to water, as it is written in Isaiah. In Isaiah. Ho, all who thirst and come to water, the Torah says in Deuteronomy. If a man shall be discovered abducting one of his brothers and selling him, he shall surely be put to death. And you are selling your brother. So our sages explain that Joseph's, Joseph's brothers were all tzaddikim. They were very pious men. It's not that they were evil people that they took their brother and they threw him into a, into a waterless uh, well, into a waterless pit. Uh, and they had justification for the way in which they felt towards him. The Torah, it says here that in their eyes, Joseph was guilty of crimes for which the Torah itself prescribes the punishment they desire to inflict on him. So, so it was not Torah knowledge of, of, it was not Torah knowledge of Torah scholarship that they lacked, but the capacity to attain the truth of, of Torah. So it's not that the brothers lacked knowledge, that they were not learned people, but what they lacked was the humility that a person needs to learn Torah. And this is what the Midrash is saying, that the, the, the pit was waterless. It, it, it was lacking in the humility of a person in order to be able to acquire Torah. So this is why the Torah is referred, to, is referred here to as water. Torah is also compared by the prophets to many other, uh, by, by the prophets and the sages, by many other names. For example, bread, oil, wine, milk, and honey, amongst others. Each of these metaphors relates to the Torah in a different way. It gives it a different characteristic. But water, water expresses the element of Torah, most crucial to a person's faithful uh, reception of the divine truth, and that is humility. So as the words of the Talmud say, why is the Torah compared to water? Because just as water forsakes the high ground and gravitates to the low ground, so do the words of Torah endure only in a humble mind. So we know that one of the qualities of, of water is that it trickles down. It, it goes to the deepest, deepest, deepest parts of the earth. And so the same way when we learn Torah, the Torah that we learn comes from heaven, it comes into our brains and it goes down deep, 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 deep into the most 
deepest part, the recess of our heart. So without humility, one cannot really obtain the truth of Torah. This is the number one ingredient in, in being able to live a Torah life. For a person to really, really live a life of Torah, he needs to nullify himself for Hashem. If he's full of his ego, he can be very learned and he can have a lot of knowledge, but in reality he is not a, a person that is living Torah. So the Talmud states that even in a dream one cannot envision an elephant passing through the eye of a needle, and an elephant and a needle's eye are both of a finite size. So the elephant is huge and then the eye of a needle is tiny, but either one, they're both finite in, in our realm. There's no, no such thing as an infinite um, a elephant or an infinite uh, eye of a needle. So it is only that the former is of a larger finite size and, uh, than the later. So ne nevertheless, it is impossible for an elephant to enter the eye of a needle. It's impossible. You cannot fit an elephant through the eye of a needle. And it's so impossible that even in our dreams, we will never come to dream such a dream, not to conjure up such images. Like when you dream, sometimes you dream crazy things. Sometimes you dream things that are like you're flying or you're falling down a mountain or you're dreaming crazy stuff. But as crazy as it can be, it can go into the finite mind. But the, the elephant and the eye of a needle, it's so out, out there that it cannot even be grasped by the human mind. So every morning before we study a single word of Torah, we express our gratitude to the Almighty with the blessing, blessed are you God who gives us the Torah. Our every achievement in Torah is a divine gift. So what he's saying here, uh, Yankee Tauber in his book of the Inside Story, what he's saying here in, with the teachings of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, what he's saying is that they acquire, to acquire the knowledge of the Torah really is a gift from God. We have to do our part. We have to sit and we have to learn and we have to listen to a shiur and we have to have a teacher and all this. This is our job. We have to do this. But to acquire, to acquire the gift of Torah, to be able to internalize it and live it, it's really, it comes from, from a gift of Hashem. And how do we get this gift? We need to really be a person that is humble and that we will be able to have the sehut, the merit to gain this gift. Because, but the, because the essence of the Torah, the divine unequivocal truth that lies within these garments is beyond the natural capacity of the greatest mind. So uh, the Torah is so, so infinite that a, that a mind cannot contain the Torah if it's not a, a gift that Hashem gives him that he's able to contain this gift. The same way as that dream of the elephant and the, and, the, and the eye of a needle, that it's something that is so infinitely remote that the mind cannot contain it in a dream. So we assimilate this truth only because God chooses to give it to us every time we approach the study of his wisdom. So we're able to internalize the teachings of the Torah. For example, I sit and I learn so I can be able to give you a shiur, so I can be able to give you a knowledge of Torah. But for me to be able to transmit what I'm learning, in reality, is a gift from Hashem. It's not something that I acquire on my own. 
Many people know a lot, but they cannot transmit it to someone else. So this is a gift. Hashem gives me, thank God, Baruch Hashem, for, for whatever reason, He gives me the gift of being able to trans transmit to you the information I learn. Not only that I'm able to transmit it to you, but I'm able to internalize it and, and, and put it inside of, of, my, of my being. So it says here that, um, that without the prerequisite of humility, this cannot be achieved. Without the water of Torah, the divine essence of the Torah will remain beyond its grasp. We will never be able to attain it. So indeed, the greater one's mind, the greater one's past achievements in Torah, the greater the degree of humility that is required to counteract the mind's natural arrogance and to attain the, the divine truth. So if you're very bright and you're able to learn a lot of Torah and you're able to quote from your mind, like, I don't have that capacity, I cannot uh, quote from my head, this is a Rashi, this is that, I don't have that. But if a person has that ability, there's great rabbis and great people, incredible. They're like, like encyclopedias. They, they retain every little thing they learn and they know exactly where they can find it, in what page, in what, uh, in what uh, parasha. They quote it by, 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 by heart. In reality, the more you are able to, to have this, this capacity, the bigger your, your humility has to be in, in order to, to acquire Torah. So therein lays the failing of Joseph's brothers. This was their, their, their problem. Their, their problem was that their well of wisdom was empty and there was no water in it. So this uh, analogy of the pit where they threw Jake, uh, Joseph, that it had no water, in reality is an allusion, it's, a, it's alluding to their lack of humility in, in learning Torah. And indeed, because the brothers were lacking this wa the water aspect of Torah, their well of Torah learning wasn't just empty, but it produced poisonous uh, snakes and scorpions. And, and this is what, what it means that when Joseph was thrown into the spit, that there were scorpions and, 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 and snakes, it, it is alluding to the rationalizations of a mind that is not humble, that is haughty and is arrogant in, in everything they do. So the Talmudic commentary on the verse that describes the pit into which Joseph was thrown reads, the pit was empty, there was no water in it. Does not the fact that the pit was empty already imply that there was no water in it? But the additional words, there was no water in it, comes to teach us that there was no water, water in it because there were snakes and scorpions in it. So, nature abhors a vacuum. <clears throat> and this concept is very interesting. The, the, the Sitra Acha, the other side, the, the, the negative side of the world, cannot attack a person unless there is a vacuum within him. So, Torah is designed to keep a person full. Really, if, if, if you look at your life and you're a Torah observant person, you, you have no, no time to, to be empty. Like, I realized in this pandemic, like at the beginning of the pandemic when Pesach was coming and everybody was freaking out, like Jewish women that clean their homes 
They had no time to be scared. They had no time to be think, looking at the news all day. They had no time for this. There was no vacuum. They were full. They were full cleaning their house. They were full preparing their house for Pesach with whatever they could do. And the world is created in a way in which Hashem created a vacuum within ourselves. It's, it's, a, it's something that is needed because to be able to attain godliness, to be able to attain Torah, Torah knowledge, all that we need to attain, you need to have a space. Like if you're so full of yourself, there's no space for Hashem. You need to have a vacuum within to be able to fill it with Torah and Hashem and God and godliness. If you don't have this need, then how can you ever come near God? But the problem is that many people fill this vacuum with things that are not good for them, that are counterproductive, that are completely antagonistic to what Hashem wants you to fill them with. But He has to create a vacuum in order for a person to search for, for Him. So it says here that nature abhors a vacuum. The same is true of our spiritual nature. There is no neutral state in matters of spirituality and morality. The mind and heart of man are never truly empty. You're never empty. There's always going to be a thought in your head. You, you can never, like, you know, when in, they say, put your mind into, still your mind. Don't think about anything. It's impossible. There's no way a, a mind can be empty. It, maybe you're, you're mumbling a, a word or you're thinking about something spiritual. But the mind can never be still and can never be empty. It always holds a thought. So if they are not filled with the waters of life nourishing wisdom, they become a nest for poisonous snakes and scorpions. When you don't feel your vacuum, when you don't feel your, your, your thoughts, your, your heart with good things, with holy things, holy endeavors, then they're going to be filled up with garbage, with poisonous with poison from the world that is going to eat you up. So there's a Hanukkah connection here. And it says that the annual Torah reading cycle, the story of Joseph and his brothers, is studied and read in proximity to Hanukkah. And this implies a connection between the festival and the Torah reading, the words of the Shalom. So Hanukkah is this Thursday night. And usually the parashas Vayeshev, which is this parasha, Meketz and Vayigash are always read either before Hanukkah, within Hanukkah, or, after, or immediately after Hanukkah. And it says here that um, to everything there is a season and a time for, for, for every purpose. And this is in Ecclesiastes. Certainly the arrangement of this festival of the year, which are the seasons of God, as well as the festival and fast instituted by the sages, all have a special connection in the parashiot in whose weeks they fall, since everything is a master minded by God, thus the story of Joseph is destined to be repeated with the royal Hashmonei family in the Greek era. So it's not a coincidence, it's not serendipity, it's not it just happened to be that these parashas are read exactly at the time that Hanukkah is taking over. They're, they're, it's meant to be, it's shared. they're meant to be there. And the lesson of the water-lacking Torah of Joseph's brothers is, is a central component to Hanukkah. And so it, in the Hanisim prayer, the prayer that we make 
during the Amidah and, um, and after lighting the, the candles, uh, which describes the events of Hanukkah, we read, In the days of the high priest Matisyahu the Hasmonea and his sons, when the wicked Hellenic regime rose up against your people, Israel, to make them forget your Torah and violate the decrees of your will. So it was not the Torah per se that the Hellenistic government a regime wished to annihilate from the, from, the, from the Jews, from Israel, but they wanted to annihilate the Torah, your Torah, not the Torah, your Torah. The Greeks were very cultured people, they were very learned people, they were very intelligent and very cultured and very elegant, beautiful, they, they used to love beauty and all the material pleasures of the world. And um, they had no problem in learning Torah as a philosophy. As a matter of fact, great philosophers have come out of, 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 of Greece, Greek philosophers that came from these times. So philosophy for them was like a collective wisdom, was something nice to learn. And people who were very studious used to learn philosophy. What they could not tolerate was the water of the Torah, the humility of the Torah, eh, the humbling of the mind. This they could not live with, this idea, that a person nullifies himself for the service of God. This they could not sustain. So their war, their, their war on Torah was a war against your Torah, against Torah as the human submission to an infinite supra-rational God. They could not believe that there was a people that kept Shabbat because Hashem said that they had to keep Shabbat. They couldn't live with this. Like, they could understand that people liked to keep Shabbat because it was a day off, they could rest, they had good food, they enjoyed family and friends, it was a spiritual day to, to connect to, to a higher being. But they could not understand that they, the reason why they, they kept Shabbat was Leshem Shammai, for the sake of heaven. That they could not resist. So does the Talmud tells us that when the Greeks invaded the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, they contaminated all the oil in the sanctuary, and this was the oil used to kindle the menorah, in, which symbolized the divine light that, light that emanated from the Holy Temple to the whole world. Because the light of the temple was not only for the Jews, it was a light that came out from within to the whole world. So the Greeks did, did, did not destroy the menorah, they did not destroy the temple, they only uh, contaminated it. That's all they did. And if they did it intentionally, rendering it unfit for use according to the Torah, supra-rational laws of ritual uh, purity. This too reflects the fact that the Greeks did not object to the temple serving as a source of enlightenment for the world. They sought only to divest it of its super-rational and divine element. So what they could not understand was the supra-rational part of the, of the Torah. And that's why they wanted to eradicate Shabbat, um, Brit Milah, Rosh Chodesh, because these are things that go beyond uh, the, the, the laws of nature. They could not go above nature. So they yet, yet the Hasmoneans know that a Torah devoid of water soon becomes a breeding ground for scorpions and snakes and poison. And so that's why um, they fought. They fought for, 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 for what we really believe in. 
And so they saw that wisdom hallowed of its divine essence leads not to truth, but to the realization or rationalization of a person's spaces, wants, and prejudices. So they fought to drive the Greek's idolization of human reason from Jerusalem and rekindle the menorah with wisdom receptive to the divine truth. So all they wanted to do was rid the Jewish people from that supra-rational connection that they had to Hashem. And what uh, the Rebbe teaches us here is that this was a problem at that moment of the brothers of Joseph. That yes, they were very learned, they were very scrupulous in their mitzvot and they were very careful, but at the same time they didn't have the supra-rational connection at that moment in their lives. And that's why the well is uh, alluded to lacking water because water is really that, that ingredient, which is humility, which a person is the number one ingredient for a person to be able to acquire Torah, the truth of the Torah, the met and the essence of, of the Torah. So I want to wish you a blessed week, a Hak Sameah, you should have a beautiful Hanukkah, and the light of the menorah should, you should internalize within yourself, and you yourself become a light to the world. And remember, live a little higher. Thank you.